0: As we get started uh, on the book of Colossians, I actually want to start um, by reminding you or maybe telling you for the first time the vision of Veritas Women, okay? So everything we do fits into the vision of the church, but then we also have some extra language that we use and we need to remind each other of of why we are here. And this this is what we have come up with. Ladies, we are known by God and we're loved by God. So let's know each other and let's love each other. How we're going to do that is by leaving our pretenses at the door and coming together. We quiet our hopes of impressing one another and we take our insecurities and put them before Christ. And we find ourselves ready to do the kingdom work that God has for us. So we start broken but we stay broken. And somewhere along the way, grace teaches us to be faithful. Maybe that's the only part that we really need to focus on. The goal is that grace would teach us to be faithful, both this summer and beyond. How we do that, the main things that we do as Veritas Women, one, our top priority is Bible literacy. We work hard, we help each other learn how to be good students of the Bible. Secondly is authenticity. And then third when we maybe fall off the wagon of studying the Bible, or when we aren't authentic with one another, our third objective is we master the restart. Okay, so Bible literacy, authenticity, and then when we mess up, we just master the restart and we try again in those two things. So let's just jump right in. If you brought a Bible, open up to Colossians. If you have it on your phone, you can open up. If you wanna just listen, you can. So I'm going to start actually just in the first couple verses of Colossians chapter 1 to get us started. It's one of those little books that can kind of get lost in between other books. This is a no-judge zone. It can be hard to find. In five weeks, your Bible will just open to it. It's like a great way to cheat. Okay, Colossians chapter 1. Guys, this is how it starts. (laughs) Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We're actually just going to stop right there, guys. I need you to know uh, that we often start our studies by talking about the envelope, especially when we do something called an epistle, which is what Colossians is. It just means that it's a letter. So we start first night and we say, okay, if we were to see this letter in an envelope, what would we see there? Well, we would see that this is a letter written by a man named Paul, which is maybe a man who's familiar to many of you. So his name would be in that upper left-hand column, or that corner, Paul. And who it's addressed to is who? The Church of Colossae. It's the Colossians. Uh, That was a city in present-day Turkey. And what we would see as the date, the stamp on there, would be somewhere around AD 55, Okay, and to understand this letter, if we're even gonna start this process of understanding this letter, and really, guys, to be good students of the Bible, what you're gonna hear us talk about a lot is we just have to be question askers. We just have to learn how to ask questions like crazy of the text. So we are going to say, why is Paul writing? I mean, it seems like the most obvious question, which makes it the right question to start with. Start with, why is Paul writing? writing. What's the occasion in Colossians? Well, we're, you guys actually are going to read the whole book of the Bible this week. It's only four chapters, but you're going to read all of it in this first week. And I think what you guys will feel is, oh, this is a happy letter. Overall, Paul's really happy with the church. Things are going well there. So you're going to kind of pick up on, on encouragement and kind of a pat on the back from Paul to the church. It's like a attaboy. But as is uh, pretty normal in life, even when things are going well, there is a problem. So there is something that's threatening the church here, and Paul is going to address that. This is a false teaching. And guys, this false teaching, it's at the very heart of Paul's letter. And see, where we are gonna be, we're actually not gonna be digging into the whole book of Colossians, even though it's just four chapters. We're not even going to dig into all of chapter one. But where we are going to kind of pull over and park is just nine verses. It's called the Christ hymn. It's starting in verse 15 and goes to 23. That's where we're gonna be. It's called the Christ hymn, and it actually is just that. It is a Hebrew hymn. This was a, maybe a common or even a popular song that Paul knew, and he has put it into his letter. So we've already asked one question, right? Why is Paul writing? But now, here's an obvious question. Why would Paul stop his happy letter and break out into song? Right, what does that sound like to you guys when someone just breaks into song? What do you think of? Musicals, right? 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 It makes me think of a musical. So maybe uh, you went and saw Hamilton, or maybe you're kind of old school and you like think um, My Fair Lady. Um, I'll be honest, the one that came to my mind was Greece. I, I grew up pretty conservative Christian home, but that was like the musical of my childhood. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand most of it. I probably still don't understand most of it, But so when I noticed, when I started to understand that this is Paul, Paul is breaking out into song, it made me picture Paul as John Travolta, like as Danny Zuko breaking out into song. Um, But there's something to it, guys. Why would he do it? Why would he break into song if he is trying to be compelling to this church? I think it's because he understands that people remember songs more than sermons, right? Even if a sermon is amazing, do you leave church humming the sermon? No, you hum the song, right? Songs stick with us, or you could even say like there's a song for, for every mood, Music motivates us. Even if we're not musical, music motivates us. And I would like to prove my point here. Okay, here's how I'm going to prove this and let you in on my life, let you get to know me if you don't already. 45 seconds, I'm going to tell you my entire life story. And I'm gonna do it by telling you a song that sums up those seasons of my life. 45 seconds, let's see if I can do it. Okay, ready? Childhood. Dressing up, singing into a hairbrush microphone, singing Carol King, I Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet, on record. Uh, pre-adolescence, the first cassette tape that I bought was Boys to Men. Down on Bended Knee. I'm going to be looking for people my age. Down on Bended Knee. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. Okay, I can remember my first junior high dance. I think it probably played four times the Titanic theme song by Celine Dion. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, okay, much more serious. The first worship album that really taught me how to worship, Sonic Flood. Yes, okay, okay. But moving on, a much less serious, varsity basketball locker room hype song, Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror. That, that works for me. Um, okay, but I'm moving along. I marry my husband, Matt, um, and our first wedding song, like anyone who got married in 2006 was Rascal Flats. God Bless the Broken Road. It's a horrible song if you really think about it. But okay, so then we get married and we have babies. We have three little boys and that brought back sweet songs from my childhood like Jesus Loves Me and This Little Light of Mine. Well, that, that season of babies was followed actually by a pretty hard season in my marriage and, and in our jobs. It was kind of a season of discipline. Guys, that is when some old hymns came alive to me. Songs like It Is Well or Rock of Ages. And those lyrics were so rich. Well, now in my current season, I've got a 10-year-old, eight-year-old, and six-year-old boy. It's all things sports, and I hate to say it, but I feel like my soundtrack right now is this Christian rap that my husband plays for them when they're shooting hoops outside. He like cranks it on the speaker. There you go. That's my whole life in songs, not 45 seconds is what somebody's saying in the back. Okay, the point is though, guys, music sticks with us, doesn't it? Even if you're not musical. And I seriously think that Paul got it. I think that that's part of what is going on here is that Paul is using this Christ hymn strategically. See guys, whatever was going on in this church, good or bad, Whatever was threatening this church, the answer, or you could even say, like I heard it said, the ammunition against this false teaching was right here inside the Christ hymn. The false teaching, it is at the heart of Paul's letter, but the spiritual maturity, or you could say the spiritual well-being of that church, that is the point of the book. See, Paul wanted to understand wanted his readers, his audience, to address and refute the false teaching. Why? So that they would grow in spiritual maturity, so that they would continue to grow in their relationship with Christ. So let's not go any further without reading it. Let me read to you Colossians 1, 15 through 23. This is where we will be for six weeks. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, ladies, let's, let's get our bearings. Right away there at the beginning in the ESV, it says he is the image. Or in the NIV, you might see that the son is the image. Well, we need to take note that the word he is talking about the son who was just mentioned in the verses before. He or him is actually used 16 times in just these nine verses. We need to take note of that because right there it's telling us what is this about? It's building a list about Christ, about the son. You could actually say the Christ him is Jesus Christ 101. It's fair to say that the purpose of the text is that the readers, both the original readers and us, would know who Christ is. Our study this summer, ladies, very simply, it is the study of Christ. So this summer, we will slow down in Colossians. We're gonna get really close to the text. And the purpose is that you and I would know about Christ, but even more, that we would know him personally. And maybe we will even have an opportunity to see if there's even just a trace of the same false teaching in us as what the Colossians were facing. And ladies, our goal, all 150 of us and whoever's listening on po- podcast, our goal is spiritual maturity. Our goal is that, our, that we would grow in our relationship with Christ. Okay, so we have done a good job. We have asked some questions of the text, but here is when I start to hear or almost like sense or feel this hymn this text asking me a question and what question is the text asking me it's almost like it's poking and it's prodding getting my attention saying this Rebecca does your understanding of Christ line up with this Does my understanding of Christ line up with what the Bible says? And ladies, I will now ask you the same question as we begin, who do you say that Jesus is? It is really important. Our thoughts about him actually have huge implications, guys. So who would you say that Jesus is? You know, I I can assume that many of you in here would have a great, strong, articulate, heartfelt answer. If you've been in the Christian circle long enough or if you have been in Bible studies, I would assume that you can articulate some good truths about Christ. But when I hear this text asking me this question, I actually hear it being asked at a much deeper level. And here's what I mean. If I watched your life on a given day, or if you watched my life on a bad day, is what you see showing you that I believe this is who Jesus is? Does that make sense? So if you watched me parent, and I watched you make plans for your life, what would it say? What would those snapshots say about who you believe Jesus to be? If you watched me when I'm trying to control the people in my life, or I saw you when you were dealing with your fears or your worries, what would those moments say about who Christ is? Ladies, what do you think about Jesus? That is what we are leading our study out with. Does it line up with what you see in Colossians 1? Because if my vision, or my version of Christ is smaller than what's right here, then I have some problems. Guys, I'm in some trouble. If if Jesus is actually smaller than this, if he's less powerful than what I see in kind of these weird verses, this weird list, then I'm gonna need some help. I'm gonna need to actually find like some supplementary resources to gather together to make sure That I'm really saved to make sure that my salvation is secure. If Jesus is smaller or maybe more casual than what we see in this text, you know, like he's more like your friend than your king, or maybe like when we think, oh, Jesus is more like us than he is like God then we are gonna have some problems because we're, we're gonna need somebody or something else to make sure that we really can get to heaven, to make sure that our sins are really forgiven, to make sure that we're really reconciled with God. Guys, buddy Jesus or like TED talk Jesus is just not big enough and strong enough to deal with my sins. He's just not big enough or strong enough to keep my heart from wandering away from him. And this is when I really feel the weight of this text. What about when my problems are big? What about when your problems are consuming? See, if Jesus is just a good teacher, if he's just like that long-haired, lamb-holding, smiling pacifist, then what happens when you need a solution to your problem? When, when my fears cast a really big shadow on my week, when my debts are massive or when conflict is many, then what? What happens when I put my despair next to a small Jesus or when you put your depression or your chronic issue next to a weak, small Jesus? Where then is the hope, ladies? Where is the comfort at that time? See, as we ask ourselves these questions and as we invite our minds to lead the way in Colossians, the problem actually has really become clear to us. We can now see what's going on both in their world and in ours. The problem is that we are confused often about who Christ is, maybe even just uninformed, or maybe more specifically what we see is that we have just made Jesus too small in what ways have you maybe made jesus too small maybe that's the problem that we start with as we study well is there a solution what would the solution be how do we make jesus bigger or another way to say it ladies how do we how could we as a tribe of women obtain an exalted view of christ A loftier vision of him. How could we clear up what we see when we think of Christ? What's the solution to our small Jesus problem? It's not polling the people. It's not found on Instagram. It's not Googling it. And you know what, guys? It's not even like digging deep into my feelings and what I hope Jesus is and then fashioning him in that way. It's not that. Guys, the answer is exactly what you think I'm gonna say at Bible study. The answer is we read the story of Christ. How do we get an exalted vision of Christ? We read his story. The Bible is the story of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And guys, I love this because it's exactly what Paul does. So you don't see it at first when you look at these nine verses, but what Paul is gonna do, guys, he's gonna take us all over the Bible. He's going to use all of Jesus's story, picking up like on biblical motifs and alluding to Old Testament themes and then reminding us of stories of when Jesus was on earth. He's gonna do that so that we can understand who Christ is. This is our solution. So I wonder, how would you answer if I said, you know, tell me Jesus' story? I think a lot of people would say the cross, right? And that's not wrong. Maybe some of you would say, no, no, his story starts in the manger. Or maybe if we have some fellow nerds in here, you would say, Rebecca, go to his genealogy. And I would say, okay, let's. And maybe we would do that then, trying to get a grip on Jesus's story. We would go to Matthew chapter one, where we see Jesus's family tree. See, it is in Jesus's family that we will find his story, his genealogy. Now, I wanna illustrate this. I wanna show you that this is a great place to start, to get us excited for the study of Christ. That going to someone's family might help make sense of them. So maybe you are not so sure about me so far. Maybe you don't have a good understanding of me. You're looking at me and you're like, mmm, why is she so intense? (laughs) Or why is her torso so long? Or is that a perm? I don't know. Why, why does she say she's a thinker, but then she cries and raises her voice whenever she teaches? She just isn't making sense to me. Maybe what you could do is get to know my family. And even more like my family trees. So going back to the Hamby side. See, maybe then you would see there's long torsos everywhere. <laughs> Short little legs scurrying around everywhere. And everyone has curly hair. Uh, Side note, we all lose our curl when we're pregnant, but then it comes back, just giving you that little insight. And maybe if you looked at my family, you would see um, my dad's long-term example of good study habits of the word. But then you would see my mom's zeal and passion for life. And by looking at my family tree, you would maybe then be able to make sense of me. And I think that that's part of what we get from Jesus's genealogy. So as we get ready, guys, to move around the Bible with our feet planted in Colossians 1, I want to show you a couple examples of how the whole Bible is the story of Christ. And this is going to clear up our vision So as we open to his um, genealogy, we would see that right away it pulls us back. It pulls us back into the Old Testament. For example, we see a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a man who came back and helped rebuild the walls of Jerusalem right along Ezra and Nehemiah. He was a man whose work was that of redemption and restoration. Then we would... Pull the pages back more, and we would find in Jesus' family tree is King David, the promised royal heir, the head of the people of God. And maybe we would start to see that connection with Colossians. Those are words that I see here in Colossians chapter one. But it keeps going. Before David, it even goes back into the line of Judah, and we see men like Joshua or Caleb, men like Moses, these men who were commanders of the people of God, these men who stood before the people and led with authority. And we start seeing in the Old Testament almost like a shadow that looks a little bit like Jesus. We almost hear these whispers of Jesus from these ancient men. Guys, it's in the Old Testament long before Colossians that the stage is set for Jesus. Do you see these men, how they bear a resemblance of Christ, just like we see in Colossians 1. And just for fun, we could even move back a little bit further. We see Abraham and Noah, and then we find ourselves with Adam. Adam, who was made in the image of God. Guys, we found ourselves on page one of the Bible, and now, now is where the story of Christ begins, is in Genesis. Here in Genesis, the beginning, we see Christ as the creator. He is introduced actually way back in the opening scenes of the Bible when we find, when we read that there's like this triune, this three-in-one God in a holy huddle creating. And we see that they created by the what? The word, the voice of God going out into the unformed chaos, creating order out of chaos and light out of darkness and land up out of the waters. There is Christ a creation in Genesis. Guys, the story of the whole Bible, Genesis revelation is the story of Christ. It's, It's like the Old Testament has built this frame for us and upon its completion, we are ready to behold Christ. And it's actually specifically in our study, it's in Colossians 1, almost more than anywhere else in the Bible that it is explicitly, clearly laid out That God's story is by his son and for his son. That God's creation exists because of Christ and for Christ. That he is before all things. He is the focal point. He's the climax. He is the building tension and the solution all at once. Guys, from the fall of man on, the very beginning of our story, God gets to work to reveal himself to mankind to reveal himself, to redeem them, and to restore that nearness. To reveal, to redeem, to restore. And in fact, we see this thread of God revealing himself go through the whole Bible, and it culminates in Jesus. But I want to verbalize what I think some of you might be thinking. I want to free you up, to be honest. I wonder if some of you are still saying, Rebecca, this has nothing to do with me. Rebecca, this is at risk for boring me. Rebecca, this actually is not going to help me get through my summer. This isn't going to hold my attention or the attention of the friend that I brought. Well, guys, I have struggled through that. I was there, too, as I started Colossians And let me tell you what I have found as I am just a couple months ahead of you. See guys, when we open up this book to learn about God, and specifically this summer as we open up this book to learn about Christ, what will happen is that we will find rich truths about ourselves. You can be confident of that, that you will learn about yourself But it's interesting, isn't it? It's like we all think that that's what we wanna learn about, myself included. We think we wanna learn about ourselves and we even see like that's what culture and most churches sell to us. But here's the reality of it. And I wonder if you agree with me, a study of self or an identity study in and of itself really isn't that compelling or lasting. The study of, of self It really, it doesn't bring that much joy or that much freedom or that much awe unless it is set against the backdrop of the study of Christ. The study of Christ, our origins. Guys, and here is why as we study who Christ is, we hear this opportunity, this invitation to let him had the defining voice of our identity. I'm gonna say that again. As we study him, we will find the opportunity to give him the defining voice of our identity. Not your jobs, not your skills, not your talents or your pretty face. It is Christ who defines you It's not your sharp brains or your solid relationships. It is Christ who has the defining voice over your identity. It is not your history. It is not your future or your potential. It is not your regrets or it is not your goals that define you. As we study Christ, the invitation is to give him That defining voice. Guys, this is an identity study. Maybe you heard me say this as we promoted it. I kind of accidentally put together a study on identity. It's not what I was going for. But months into this study, it's like the Bible turned the mirror on me. After I'd studied so hard on who Christ is, it turned and I started to see who I was. I started to understand myself more. So you guys, an identity study, this identity study will not just be about making us feel better about ourselves. But as we study Christ and, and ask more of ourselves than maybe we normally would in the summer, then we are going to let our mind lead our hearts, we're gonna let our heart motivate our hands, and that mirror will turn and we will have a better grip on who we are and what our purpose is. So the heart of the book is False teaching. The point of the book is spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. Guys, the only way that it's possible is because of something called union with Christ. Union with Christ. See what happens as we go through these verses and we're gonna go through them so slow, it's gonna slowly paint this exquisite picture. But it doesn't stop there. Because this is what's so cool and so crazy, guys. As the image clears and we see this exalted Picture of Christ. He's bigger, he's loftier. Then we hear that he identifies with us. This big, this lofty, exalted Jesus identifies with us. He comes to us. Guys, this is a mind blowing tension that we will find ourselves sitting in every single week. Jesus, who is high and exalted, supreme and preeminent, does what? Comes low as a humble servant. The royal one, enthroned, leaves his throne. Why? To save, to reveal, to restore. The one who is made in the image of God then bears the image of a baby, then bears the image of one body that will be beaten and whipped and pierced and nailed to a cross. Why? That he might reveal God to us. That he might too make a new creation out of us. And number three, that he might reconcile us to the Father. This tension is good for us to sit in. So if you came here this summer because you have a problem in your life that needs a solution, you are in the right spot. You are. If you came here because you want to connect with some women, maybe to quiet down that loneliness, we are so glad that you're here. And if you are here to learn about yourself because you feel aimless, you feel insecure, you want to quiet that nagging voice of insecurity, then we are telling you, you're in the right place. But the process might surprise you. We are not actually going to see how our problems can become smaller. That won't even be our aim. Those nagging insecurities, they may not shrink. Your bad habits may not shrink. The process is actually all about making Jesus bigger. Make him bigger by looking hard at what the Bible says about him. And ladies, I guarantee you that after a month of looking at these scriptures, what you will see is that Jesus is far more than you could have ever hoped for. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us to see Jesus? Give us eyes to see him. Give us a mind to know. Give us the will and even give us the curiosity to seek truth. God, it's by your help and it's by your power that we can know you, know the love you have for us, and even know ourselves, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, amen.